0: hello hello everybody i'm going to try to keep this under 20 minutes because i am extremely tired tonight what i've got for you is some yale science of well-being stuff yes this is dr laurie santos's free course on coursera the science of well-being and i absolutely loved it it was it it changed my life i'm not kidding you were listening on a friday so that means it is shabbat and for any fellow yahudi out there shabbat shalom everyone else the weekend is here. Thank goodness it's Friday. So enjoy the weekend. Let's get right down to it. I will explain how this course went. So they have something called a rewirement, and that was a weekly challenge. So instead of a requirement, they just called it a rewirement because you're like rewiring your brain, you know what I mean? I would keep track, kind of, and I would put a little thumbs up beside the days that I did the rewirements, but it was actually hard. Like it was it was tough to keep up with this stuff. You start off the course doing a few quizzes, and there's one that kind of measures out strengths and weaknesses. And so, for me, that my top five were social intelligence. Number two was humility. Number three was appreciation of beauty and excellence. Number four was gratitude. And number five was hope. And these, when you reflect on these, it, it's it's hard not to look for them in your life. I don't know. This is a little too eerie. Some of these are really spot on. and But, like, not even necessarily in, like, positive ways. And that's, like, a whole rabbit hole I could go down. But, like, with the hope and even... Like my SQ, I, the job I have requires a lot of interpersonal skills and I put on a lot of different hats, talk to a lot of different people. So I'm not surprised that my social intelligence is there. Like I I am, as I would say with my friends, a good schmoozer, but I'm not always a schmoozer 24 seven. That's the thing. And so sometimes I get this like weird imposter syndrome slash like weird identity crisis from it. And it's anyways, so those are my strengths. And I, the appreciation of beauty and excellence, was it stood out to me because I never realized that until they said it. And I was like, actually, you know what? Like, I like to wear kind of hipsterish outfits. I, I like album covers that are a little abstract. Uh, you know, I will. I'll pr- appreciate little things like the way the tree sways and, and the colors here and there. I don't know. All these little things, I, I see them. And so that when I saw that, I was like, oh, that actually makes a lot of sense. There was this thing called the AH score and I scored really low and I, I actually forget what that was even about. However, I do remember that some of my higher scores here were like on my emotional aspect of health. These are all like part of your health, uh, parts of your health, sorry. And the emotional side was pretty high and my health side was pretty high. And M, oh, motivation was pretty high. Yeah, I can get pretty motivated. You can just talk to my friends and family about that. I'll I'll, I'll get really passionate about something all of a sudden and just get like really on it. Whatever R was here, it was really low, uh, and and same with P. I hope that's not physic physical like physical health or respect. I really I I forget what those were though when they were low. Anyways, it says here three strong suits I need to practice weekly is I must learn more about my meaning. Um, uh, that was, and this is what I wrote back then, by the way, when I was taking this. So I, I wanted to learn more about my meaning. I must continue sharing my fitness to the world. That is what I put. I must donate blood one time per month and donate some things. And then accomplishing a tedious task was three, uh, were some weekly practices. It's funny because reading this over, by the way, so there's context, like this was over a year ago. This was actually in March when COVID first hit. And oh, like, I was so different. I didn't look into things as deeply as... I didn't understand all this was mind blowing to me. Whereas, I've talked to friends in psychology, and they say this is just common sense. Apparently, th- apparently, all of this is no big deal. But for me, it was completely opening up a new world. I love how I put donate blood once a month because now that I donate blood a lot, I, it's you can't donate it once a month. I think it's every uh, two months or month and a half or something. There's something I still talk about today, and it's this coined term called the G.I. Joe fallacy, and Lori Santos explains it as knowing is half the battle because that's the saying of GI Joe right and so we don't put things into practice right after we hear them and that's the issue and and actually she says how in this day and age we get so much information thrown at us all the time we, we don't even have time to put it into practice and so there's a lot of this either regurgitation or there's a lot of stuff going right over our heads some uh rewirements or like requirements they had was Make a gratitude journal and then savor one thing a day. Now the gratitude journal, I've already had that now for, I want to say four years. I've started doing it in college and uh, the savoring one thing a day is crucial. And, And I really like that because I hadn't learned at the time, but later on they talk about, it's called negative visualization. That if you picture doing something for the last time, you will be more grateful for it and you will savor it all at once. So for example, it could be the most mundane thing you're drinking. Imagine if it was the last time you got to drink whatever drink it was like you never get grape juice again. You would savor it. You would be more grateful for that grape juice. You can literally use anything. You can use those little mundane things or like if you're going for a walk, what if it was the last walk in your neighborhood or you can even extrapolate it extremely large like what if it's the last time talking to your friend and these are ways you not only tie in gratitude but tie in savoring the moment. It stretches out time. Dr. Luis Santos also talks about this idea thwarting, thwarting hedonic adaptation. I love that, that word, by the way. No one uses that anymore. And, and that's actually the epitome of this course. It's the thesis, really. If you want to wrap this whole course up into a bow, it is that hedonic adaptation exists. It's here to stay. It doesn't go and that we need to all remember it's here to stay. So for anyone wondering, hedonic adaptation, think about it, hedonism, or or that is pleasure. Like uh, something hedonic is something pleasurable. And adaptation is you get used to it. So this is our life. We just get used to pleasurable things. And actually this is a survival mechanism. As human beings, we remember the negative things. Like the negative things stick out. If they didn't stick out, we wouldn't even be here because we want to remember the negative things the most so we don't die like as a cave person side note people is so in the basement actually with me is my roommate my brother and I always I'm always eager to get people to answer questions on here because I love hearing other perspectives because remember you could you always can learn from other people everyone knows something you don't they've always lived an experience you haven't and but it's funny because we got uh my one roommate he he works all day doing uh computer software engineering and he's completely fried and then my brother is always not never wanted to speak in the microphone because he's just too cool for this but anyways uh, it was funny that both of them are just drained after a long day so there's this concept and it's called a gratitude visit i actually thought it was really cool because it's you write a gratitude letter to someone and it's got to be very personal and then you simply you don't just send it it's not an email uh you don't even mail it you go knock on the door give it to them they get to read it um whatever you want to do after that is up to you but they di- They actually did some surveys on this, and people were grateful for that months afterwards. Months. Uh, that feeling of gratitude and love, it carried on. So it's something that I haven't done yet. I actually really should. And hey, if you're listening, by all means, give it a go. There was a study by the University of Virginia, and what they did was they told students to write a like memoir, almost into their final days at the school. But this was, they, they told them to do it way before they graduated. And then they had them do the same thing before they were graduating. And they were drastically different. Why is this? It's kind of tying up that point I talked about, the negative visualization. They could picture what life was gonna be like without being in school because it was around the corner. Whereas before they were immersed in it. They didn't even think about school ending. They were in the midst of it. And what I liked was this chorus, when it would bring up a point like that, it would also bring up a study immediately after to support the, the claim. If y'all hear any doom music or gunshots, it's, that's, you're gonna hear doom in the background. No, it's okay. You don't have to you don't have to throw your headphones. Okay, okay. Hey, I'm getting guilt tripped. And he's gonna throw his headphones on. Don't worry. Uh, Most people have heard this term lifestyle creep. If you have not heard that term, it's literally that things are never enough that your your lifestyle always creeps with your income and whatnot. That's what lifestyle creep is, you will see 90% of people have this happen they'll always get a new car a bigger house or just little tchotchkes here and there because they're making more money or they're going more trips like their lifestyle just inflates because of their income inflating those who can live below their means forever are the ones that either die with massive wealth or they retire with a lot of wealth there's a comforting line here lori Santos says it's okay if you don't get what you want because our expectations on our drop in happiness are always worse than reality I want that to really sink in, because that's the whole hedonic adaptation thing is she says we suck at guessing what's gonna happen. as human beings, we assume so much we are, and and like she said, we always expect our um we have our expectations regarding drop in happiness are always worse than reality is. So like if we think that it would suck to get struck by lightning, like that the expectation that the thought we have of that happening is way worse than actually getting struck by lightning because we will just move on. Life will just keep going. Nothing like things will keep going. And I'm sure I'll repeat this little thing later on. But there was a study, kind of a study. And what they did was they asked people, what would you rather be a quadriplegic trying to get on to public transit or a lottery winner? And the funny thing is they asked this question. Everyone picked the lottery winner. No one wants to be a quadriplegic. However, when they then surveyed people who were quadriplegics, and they surveyed lottery winners, their happiness levels were roughly the same. And what this says is that you get used to your reality and that for people who thought, oh, it would absolutely suck to be a quadriplegic, well, believe it or not, you would have the same relative happiness as the person who's a millionaire because problems are problems and you get used to life. She also talks about people who say, I'm an outlier, that would never be me. And she says, well, actually, that's a fallacy. (laughs) Like If you think you're the outlier, sure, there's that chance, but everyone says that, so you're not. I'm going to crank through this money part. They talk about money. And that's really, everyone loves to tie money to happiness, right? They want to hear this conversation. But it's actually just such a quick part in this course because I think it's so cliche that she just touches on it quick and tells you how it is. She talks about this enigma that in the 60s, people didn't seek out high salaries as much as they do today. And for some reason today, this is different. And she kind of left it up to you to decide because it's a theoretical now, me personally, I I, I, <laughs> I said back then, I believe the reason is social media. Okay, maybe it's one reason, but if I had to guess today, I think it's the fact that you could buy a house on one salary in the 60s. You would get a raise consistently. A pension was pretty damn good back then. Inflation wasn't radical. School was way cheaper. So I think people, they, they knew they could float a good life without chasing a crazy mashuga salary. Now there's a term that Lori Santos coined and it's the American paradox. The more stuff we get, the less happy we are theoretically. What makes this a paradox is that when we get less happy, we then seek out more things therapeutically. And the paradox continues because then we have more stuff and then we get less happy. And because we're less happy, we get more things and then we get more stuff and then we're less happy. And there's the paradox. It goes in a merry-go-round she really quickly covers the age old question of does money buy happiness and it does up until 75k people who make 75,000 and over all their needs are met and they're able to still experience a few extracurriculars and extra things but anyone under 75k you can actually see an increase in happiness up until that point which i found interesting cuz like everyone thinks money has nothing to do with happiness now, I said back then here in my notes, you know, I think that this statement lacks context because this number changes depending on your geography, industry, or even positions in that industry. And, you know, I'm pretty sure she mentions somewhere in there that, you know, the big city, New York City, Toronto, Vancouver, San Francisco, even just California in general, these are all places, Washington, these are all places where, sure, like a more expensive living, you're going to need that number to go up just to meet a lot of these needs. Now I love how she is a PhD and a scientist and a doctor because she, she brings up just realistic, logical points like this folks making a lot of money. They can look at their income and then think, Oh, I must be living a good life because I make a lot of money. Now, even though that doesn't completely negate all their problems, she said that it will just slightly, maybe even in the moment, make things a little better and make them just a little more grateful. So there you go, people, for some folks who are are making well over six figures a year, they can look at that and objectively say, oh, I should be pretty happy about this. And just faking that to say I should be, that can sometimes have you feel a bit better about it. So to make a black and white statement saying money doesn't increase happiness. And then one person saying it does like, no, no, it's actually a mix that it can increase it a little bit, but it also won't increase it as much, you know? (laughs) It's all context dependent. That is what she said. And I made a note here. I said, I need to mention that the tiny spike in happiness from seeing high income doesn't do shit. If all the other happiness buckets are empty, I, I kind of still agree with old Zev well done. Uh, And then I, okay. And I didn't rehearse this side note. This is what I put side note. I have always believed the secret to happiness was relationships and giving. We shall see if this is true or false because I was just starting the course. So I was like, oh, let's see. Now, after finishing the course, I can tell you it's not exactly relationships and giving. Like, sure, she talks about that stuff. It's more gratitude is the key. Gratitude and presence. She really breaks down presence and mindfulness in this course. It's actually because of this course I started meditating five minutes every night and I've been doing it. I've missed a few nights, literally just a few though. It's pretty much become a religious thing where I do it every night for the last year. And it it has helped. Like I'll tell you, this is a little side tangent is because I've gotten good at meditating. Well, actually, sorry, that is so naive of me to say. I'm not good at it. It's only been a year of constant meditation. I, I did a bit in high school, a bit in college, but really like to do it every night. What's happened, I'll tell you, is I'll be walking somewhere. And I'm just so grateful for the present. It's almost overwhelming when I go like, I'm at peace right now. I could be in this situation forever. So that's where I think meditation has creeped into my life. And especially just, I don't know, mundane things. There's sometimes just random times. Like even right now, I'm able to do it where I'm just, right now is good. Right now, I know I'm safe and I'm good and and my belly's full. And Like right now, I'm good and and nothing's wrong right now. (laughs) And that's a good feeling. Now I, I never tell a lot of people this, but like I, I do have almost like undiagnosed anxiety, and and but so that's a whole different ballgame, and that's why I think it's important that I meditate. And obviously that always comes and goes, but I can still just try and connect, even for a millisecond. Go, okay, right now I'm in peace. It's always constant work. It's never, it's never, it's never resolved, and then that's it, and you're good forever. I actually like to compare meditation to exercise, where it's like exercise. You can't just get super fit and then just stop. No, no reversibility will happen. No, no. Meditation is the same thing. You gotta always work on it and maintain. So I decided to do the extra reading portion from this course. And there's a snippet from a book on subjective well being. And they talk about the income thing. And they do touch on the relativity of baseline income to induce more happiness. And, and it mentions that a person's pavlov's hierarchy of needs if it's met that they're good and so this actually supported my disapproval of that 75k being the magic number no no th- this said like whatever it takes to get those hierarchy of needs that's what it takes so if you're in a city where it takes 10k then you're good if you're or shall i say the woods in a cabin and then or if you're in a city like san francisco is gonna take 100k then now the levels it went up to 100k See what I'm, see what see what i'm saying Ah, uh, So this, I can't wait to tell you this. So the novel also discussed that status does not correlate with subjective well-being. So this is really interesting because I, I also just talked to my buddy who said he could not wait to run a physio practice himself one day and, and own the business. And to me, I heard like, OK, well, if he just wants the status of being a business owner, that it's not going to increase his well-being. Like maybe he'll give him a little dopamine hit and then that's it. And he'll level off because of hedonic adaptation. And this is no different for the person saying, I want to be a partner at the firm. I want that raise. See, like these are just status things. Or, or some people even they say, I want to be a father, a mother. I want to be a grandfather, or a grandmother. I want to be an aunt, uncle, you name it. And they say this, like it's the status thing they're looking for. And, and really, I'll let you just fill in that blank, whatever it is to you to like be Whatever status level you want, it, the, some experts would say like that does not correlate with your well-being whatsoever. It's are you grateful for the position you're in at that moment. That is is where a person's well-being is high. Okay, I'm almost at 20 minutes. And like I said, I wanted to keep it a little shorter today. So I'm going to cut this. However, we're moving on next. I love this. I, I can't wait to tell you this part on uh, things, love, good grades. Uh, body image and stuff like that, Ugh, it's this is really good stuff. This is why I love this course so much. I, I could talk about it forever and it made me really change the way I look at the world. Literally, I, I need to email this woman. Dr. Lori Santos, you changed my view on the world. And it's, it's crazy to me that there's so many psychologists, well, I say psychologists, psychology students that know all this and have told me, oh, this is all common sense from that course. And yet, like, they're not acting on it. And it's, remember I told you about the G.I. Joe fallacy? That's what it reminds me of. Is, is It reminds me of that. Like, these people who studied this in school, they still not, aren't necessarily walking around practicing this because that's exactly it. They learn it, and that is it. They're not putting it into practice because knowing is half the battle, people. So my brother just chimed in. He said, "Zed, that made no sense. He's like, if they've learned it already, how is that half the battle? Like, they already went through that battle. They know it. I said, no, no, no. The whole point is that... The battle is also putting into practice. That is part of the battle. So half the battle is knowing. The other half is utilizing it, applying it to your life. Uh, if you need an example, a good example is someone learns to hold the door for somebody to be polite, but they don't actually do it. So they're not being polite. Even And they could say, oh, but I I know it. No, it doesn't matter if you know something. You have to apply something. Okay, And so that is this whole... That's what I was talking about with these people that study this. they are kids that are going to school to be psychologists. And yet, if they're not applying this information, then they're not actually fully uh, fully doing the right thing, I guess. And trust me, I'm not expecting someone to apply every single thing that you learn in this course. I'm just saying. I'm just saying. Okay. Anyways, enjoy your weekend, everybody. That is it. I, I cannot wait to break down the rest of this. That was just week one or, or maybe a bit of week two. Take care of yourself keep crushing it. I want the best for you. And oh, I love doing this. This is good for me as much as I hope it's good for you too. But trust me, trust me, you even listening to this, just know listening to my voice right now, this is good for me. I, I like getting this stuff out. That's just my ego talking, but that's a whole different story. Have a good night. See you later. Take care, everybody. Bye. <laughs>